Somewhere deep within, each of us desires an inner flow of peace and power that transforms our daily attitudes, our relationships, and life decisions. Welcome to the Peace and Power Podcast, where we discover how the living Jesus offers the flow of that peace and power in our everyday experiences. With the Bible as our guide, here is Dr. Jim Coleman with today's Bible Talk. Since I teach on a college campus, I've noticed that uh, when students begin registering for a new semester, you can overhear freshmen and sophomores asking juniors and seniors which professors they should take. They don't uh, want the most demanding professor or the hardest class, and so you hear questions like, uh, have you heard about this biology teacher or that English teacher? Actually, something very similar happened when I was recently sitting in the doctor's office filling out all those forms uh, for new patients. One of the questions was, how did you hear about us? And I was instructed to circle the best answer below that question. Did I hear about them from a friend or perhaps a family member or from an advertisement on the internet, radio, television? The last option was other. Now, they assumed, of course, that what I heard was good or I wouldn't have come. But there are popular websites now where you can comment on the quality, good or bad, of a service that you receive. Now, it's true that whenever we ask questions about something or we overhear conversation about something, it can sometimes be inaccurate. It can sometimes actually be gossip, can't it? What we hear or overhear can be wisdom. We can't always believe or trust what we hear, but there are those times when we hear correctly and accurately, and now we know something helpful. And isn't it good when we hear something uplifting? Like when a company executive hears about the quality work of an employee. Or a parent hears about how respectful a daughter or son was toward another adult. So, what is uplifting to hear about a church? A few years ago, I was on staff at a downtown church. And one day, when I was pumping gas, a man walked over to me and he, he asked, Aren't you one of the pastors at the Methodist Church? And I replied, yes. Then he asked, well, how did that recent mission trip to India go? It went very well. We were very blessed, I replied. I I was on that trip, and it was very meaningful. Well, he said, I'm not a member of your church. I go to another church, but I heard about the trip. Really, how did you hear, I asked. He said, well, I have coffee at a restaurant a couple of days a week with a friend, and he told me. I see, I said, does he attend our church? No, he doesn't go to your church either, but he gets your church bulletin every week, and he keeps me informed and updated. We always like to hear what's going on at the Methodist Church. Well, I thanked him for his interest in our church, and I told him that I had heard his church was moving to a new location, and we talked for a couple more minutes before parting. When a church is active in the community, people eventually hear something about that ministry, and that may prompt a broader question. What should people hear about a church? When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi, he told them that even when he wasn't there with them in person, he would hear reports of their ministry. Then he reminded them of those things that should be heard about a church. It's written right there in the first chapter of Philippians in verses 27 through 30. So listen carefully. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. 
Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Well, as you just heard, first, Paul wants to hear that the Philippian believers are living more like citizens of God's kingdom than citizens of Rome. When he uses the phrase, let your manner of life, it is a phrase indicating citizenship. Let your citizenship, he says, be worthy of the gospel. You know, recently my passport expired, so unless I renew it, I can't easily travel outside the United States. That passport is an official identification of my citizenship. And Paul first reminds the Philippian Christians that they now have a new passport. They are citizens of the kingdom of God. Well, you say, didn't the city of Philippi boast about being a Roman colony? Yes, they did. Weren't the Philippians proud of this special Roman citizenship? Yes, except the Christians, because they knew they weren't ultimately citizens of Rome. They had switched their allegiances. They were now citizens of the kingdom of God. And these believers were feeling the pressure, pressure from their non-Christian neighbors and co-workers, social pressure, urging them not to put Christ first in their lives. Would they hang in there despite the pressure? Well, Paul is urging them to look again at their passport and to keep living daily as citizens of God's kingdom. What should be heard about a church is that they reflect the kingdom's values instead of primarily the culture's values. Now, sometimes a culture's values might align with kingdom values. In fact, when you look in the Declaration of Independence in the history of the United States, you find that phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That aligns well with God's will for humanity to have life and liberty and to be able to pursue happiness. But Jesus said that the way of the world is a broad road in Matthew seven thirteen and 14. And many people, the overwhelming majority, choose that broad road. But following him means choosing the narrow road. Being a citizen of God's kingdom makes you a minority. Are the Philippians willing to live as citizens of that kingdom? Or will they return to the lifestyle of their culture? Will they live a life worthy of Roman citizens? Or live a life worthy of the gospel as kingdom citizens? What should be heard about a church is that the Christians in that church don't desire to be like the culture around them, but desire to be set apart, holy, different as they live for King Jesus. But should the Philippian believers be firm kingdom citizens in their own energy, their own wisdom, their own life guidance? Well, Paul answers that question here by saying no. They will need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul wants to hear that they are unified by standing firm in the Spirit, verse 27. They will sense the Spirit's 
power with them, far beyond their own strength. Some of you listening now may take B12 vitamin shots. You've become aware that you're low on vitamin B and your physician has said that you need the shots. You know what happens after you take those shots. It's kind of amazing. I've been told by a recent family member that there's this burst of new energy. (laughs) You didn't realize how little energy you felt until it was renewed by the B12. Without the Holy Spirit's work within us, we are deficient of spiritual energy and power. That power that we need to stand firm, as Paul says here, spiritually. We cannot be God's people without God's power. We can't do God's work without God's power. We cannot be protected against spiritual defeat without God's power. What should be heard about a church is that they are standing firm in the power of the Holy Spirit. Two of our sons ran cross-country, and uh, we were often at meets and watched as the runners got up to the starting line. And of course, when the gun sounded, they all took off. And almost all of them were wearing cleats. Cleats not just for the start of the race, but cleats that would help them to stand firm, push against the ground. Paul says here, you need to stand firm. Your spiritual cleats, so to speak, are the Holy Spirit's movements in your life. Now, the Holy Spirit will also give a church one mind in focus, Paul says in verse 27. Some of your Bible translations phrase this, one person or one soul, and then some one mind. The idea is that the church of many people is so unified that they seem to be one person. It is literally a miracle that the Spirit can take your individual personality and my own life experiences and your individual natural gifts and spiritual gifts and mine and weave those through other individuals in the church and make us all one. A.W. Tozer describes it so well with this question. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? And this is what should be heard about a church that the Spirit has made them of one mind, of one soul. They are all gifted and called in different ways and fulfill their God-given purpose in different ways. And yet there is a supernatural oneness. And then at the very end of verse 27, Paul also reminds the Philippians that like one team, they are in a contest against those who are misusing the gospel. Several times in this letter, he mentions his concern for the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Some are preaching the gospel for their own purposes, not for God's purposes. The Philippians are then in a contest to preserve this true gospel. And like any team, they will have to do this together in the unity that Paul just talked about as the church in their community. Now, there are times that we Christians do have different interpretations of biblical teachings which are not essential to the gospel. For example, we differ about how we baptize and how we understand communion. And so we find a way to listen to one another and to love one another, even in our differences. It is not these differences for which we must fight to the death. 
but we look for those essentials of the gospel where we agree to live our faith together. Many Christians have fought to the death for those essentials, the essentials about Jesus, the essentials about the revelation of God in the Bible, and we must be willing to fight for them just as previous generations have. The non-essentials, we agree to disagree. The essentials, though, Paul would say here, fight to keep those essentials, the essentials. We know the brevity and beauty of the Apostles' Creed. Why did the early Christians formulate uh, this summary, this creed of what Christians believe? Well, it was to preserve the gospel. One Christian didn't author it, but the church, over a period of time, has shaped the phrases and words into a beautiful summary of what every Christian, in every time, in almost every place, in every language, because they were a Christian, said that they believed. Without believing that God is creator and that Jesus is his son, the Savior, that the Holy Spirit works through the church and that we have everlasting life ahead, without essential beliefs, there is no gospel. Why do we still often recite the Apostles' Creed that today when we gather for worship? Because we've been transformed by this set of truths, and it's our time in our generation to believe and to live and to preserve, to defend these doctrinal truths, whatever it takes and whatever the consequences. This is the responsibility of the whole church, the citizens of God's kingdom that Paul has been talking about. You know, I once heard uh, a preacher say that the gospel did not need defending, that it could defend itself. Well, he might have meant that the truth is always truth. The truth wins. And of course, that's accurate. But Paul told young Timothy that Timothy was to defend the truth of the gospel when it was coming under attack by false teaching. In 2 Timothy 1.14, Paul told Timothy this, Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Doctrinal error does not usually come from outside the church, but from inside the church. Even in my ordination vows, I promise to defend the church, not only from those outside who oppose it, but also from those inside whose apostasy threatens it. Paul also reassures the Philippian believers in verse 28 that they should not be afraid of those who oppose them and the gospel. You know, conflict often brings fear. Why should they not be afraid? Because they will win. The gospel will be victorious. And the one whom the gospel is about, Jesus, will preserve his church. It is the opponents who should rightly be afraid, Paul says. They're fighting a losing battle. The gospel will not be destroyed. Its opponents will find themselves on the losing side. He says that directly here. The gospel is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Even if they will not accept it as a clear sign, Paul insists that it couldn't be any clearer. But meanwhile, Christians do suffer for their beliefs, for believing and living and preserving and defending such a beautiful gospel. As he writes in this letter, Paul is suffering right now. He's under house arrest for preserving the gospel. And the Philippian believers are suffering from false teachers in the church and social pressure outside the church as they live out the gospel. They are all citizens of the kingdom, united in suffering for the gospel, but that doesn't stop their spiritual joy. 
In fact, it increases their spiritual joy. Christians who are living out the gospel don't uh, mope around and complain about their difficulties. No, they have joy in living out that gospel. So, what should be heard about a church? If for some reason you were away from church for five years and then you heard news about the congregation that you used to know, what ministry update would you want to hear? Well, you might want to hear about some programs and certainly some people, but mostly you would want to hear these things about a church, these things that Paul reminds the Philippians of. You would want to hear that this church was still unified as citizens in God's kingdom, that together they are standing firm in the Spirit, that they have one mind in the essentials of the faith, that they are preserving the gospel for the next generation, that they're not living in fear, they're not afraid of what that costs, but they confidently know that the gospel will win and that they are full of joy, even when suffering together for living out that gospel. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are at work in the lives of those in that church. That's what should be heard about a church. Thank you for listening to the Peace and Power podcast, and we invite you to subscribe to hear the next upcoming Bible talk. Again, our website is peaceandpowerpodcast.com, and our prayer is that God's Word has brought you a greater sense of a supernatural flow of God's peace and power in your life.